Hey guys, welcome back to Better From The Ground Up. Today we're going to talk about biofertilizers and their role in agriculture. Every morning when you get up, you run up the flag that says balanced nutrition, and you salute it every morning. That's what I'm here to do today. That's my strategy. There's no magic program for everybody. It's about identifying what's most limiting and fixing it. So it's amazing what the crop can do when your nutrition is squared away and everything's good and adequate and balanced. Hey guys, it's Cody Goins. Let's jump into biofertilizers. So the first thing we want to do is set our definition for biofertilizers for this particular conversation. So biofertilizers are products that have living organisms in them. Organisms such as bacteria, fungi, protozoa, or nematodes. A biofertilizer could contain one or more of those organisms. So just understand that when we say biofertilizers, we mean something that you are using that has living organisms, living biology in the product as part of the product. So bacteria, fungi, protozoa, or nematodes, you'll see a lot of bacterial products on the market, and there's a lot of roles that they can play. You'll see a handful of fungal inoculants on the market, although nowhere near as many as bacterial products. You won't probably see any protozoa inoculants on the market at least not in the row crop space. There, there's some that exist, but um, you really have to know where to look for those to find them. And then there's not very many nematode products either. There's a few, um, but that's a very, very niche market. So the protozoa and nematodes um, is something that would be very hard to track down as far as just a single product goes. Um, so most of the biofertilizers that you see marketed to you when you see advertisements for biofertilizers or you read um, somebody's product flyer or a page on their website about biofertilizers, typically that's a bacterial product. And there's a lot of things those can do. So the bacterial products can be broken down into multiple different categories. So right now there's this giant race um, for everybody to put their flag in the ground and say, oh, we – we categorize these microorganisms. We brought order to this chaotic um, niche industry, um, you know, so that you, you'll see a lot of different terms and opinions, people using the same words different ways, just trying to uh, trying to set their flag in the ground and claim that they, you know, we were the first to bring order to this or whatever. So um, I'm going to try my best to explain these different organisms and different products. But just simply put, there's a lot of different ways you can um, take these products and categorize them. There's obviously nitrogen-fixing bacteria. You've got Brady rhizobia, been around for a long time. There's multiple markets, uh, multiple products on the market um, with Brady rhizobia, and those are just nitrogen-fixing bacteria for legumes. You've got also you've got um, free-living nitrogen fixers, um, which are bacteria that will fix atmospheric nitrogen and give it to a non-legume plant. You've got phosphate-solubilizing bacteria. You've got potassium solubilizers. Um, you've got plant growth-promoting rhizobacteria. So there's all these different categories. And something that's important to understand is a, a lot of that, other than the Brady rhizobia, the nitrogen fixers for legumes, a lot of that is marketing. Um, a lot of these bacterial products do so many different things. There's, there's multiple bacteria that can help fix atmospheric nitrogen and solubilize phosphorus, phosphate, and promote root growth. So now if I am a company trying to bring that to market, I'm going to be like, okay, where's the least amount of competition right now? 
oh, um, there's not that many phosphorus-solubilizing microbes on the market, so let's focus on that, and let's push this bacteria as a phosphorus-solubilizer. Understand that when you buy a phosphorus-solubilizing bacteria, the odds are it's doing other things for you, too. Um, the odds are it's promoting root growth, uh, maybe producing growth hormones, maybe suppressing some some pathogens in the root zone and things like that. So um, I just want to point that out because I see a lot of confusion in the marketplace with Sometimes you'll have the exact same microbe being marketed two different ways, and and two different sales reps are telling the same farmer, oh, no, 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 mine's different, mine's different. And the farmer's like, okay, well, this guy's got a phosphorus solubilizer, and this guy, he's got a plant growth uh, promoting rhizobacteria. So th those are different, and sometimes it's the same thing. So anyhow, moving forward, um, you've got other things. Um, you've got the fungal inoculants. There are a couple of um, – there's a bunch of trichoderma on the market. There's mycorrhizae on the market, um, and they all have their benefits, right? But just just never forget that we view products, including biofertilizers, as tools in our tool bag when it comes to growing a crop and raising yields. So there's no product that we believe is a silver bullet that, oh, yeah, everybody should use this because, you know, 99% of people need it. You're going to get a yield increase with it. We don't feel that way. What we want to do is look at these products objectively and say, what do they do exactly? What nutrients are they going to increase in the plant tissue for me? Um, are they going to suppress pathogens? Can I notably see less disease pressure in the root systems when I use these, um, you know, 80 plus percent of the time? Um, we just want to know, that's all we want to know. I don't want to know, you know, what your, what your three-year average is bumping yield. Um, I, I don't care about that. Um, that's not the way this all works. I just want to know exactly what your organism is going to do for my corn or soybeans or wheat or watermelons or potatoes or cotton or whatever it is. That's all I want to know. So, again, biofertilizers, products with living organisms in them. Some of the things that these biofertilizers can do we've already talked about. Um, We've already talked about a little bit of this, but you've, again, you've got the nitrogen fixers, you've got phosphorus solubilizers, you've got plant growth promoters, you've got ones that suppress diseases, right? So there's all these different things, but it it um, it all comes down to what you need most, right? So if you have phosphorus as a most limiting nutrient, and you know that for a fact, then of course a phosphorus solubilizing bacteria or fungi, um, fungal inoculant is going to be good for you. Um, but a lot of times there, there's a lot of guesses and assumptions being made. So we recommend using our tissue test as a starting point. Um, we carry um, a handful of products like this, but we don't just go push them out on everybody. You know, we, we want to look first at what you need, and then we reach into the tool bag and say, this is the tool that does a good job at fixing this problem. Some other things beyond nutrient uptake, um, the, the pathogen suppression is a big one I want to touch on because there's a lot of root disease in agriculture that goes undiagnosed. So when we're digging roots, we want to do it on young plants, on seedlings. So we want to take V1 corn, we want to take V1, V2 soybeans, and we want to dig them up and analyze the roots. And if we see absence of feeder roots, if we see black necrotic spots, if we see brown, um, you know, brown necrotic spots, if we see um, 
if we see just an absence of root mass in general, um, we're looking for any symptoms that we can find um, on on the roots. And one of the biggest biggest ones that we see is pythium. Um, and a lot of times, for instance, a corn plant at V1, when you dig a V1 corn plant up, almost all of the roots, you know, you'll have three or four roots coming out um, of the seed three or four different sections, and most of those roots should have feeder roots on them or root hairs. And if you don't see that, that's an indication that we have some pythium pressure there. And so there are certain bacterial products or fungal products that when you put those on the seed or you put them in furrow um, and, and you do comparisons side by side, you notice that you have significantly higher um, root hair counts or feeder root counts. And typically when you look at a tissue sample, you'll see higher nutrients, especially phosphorus. So a lot of farmers assume that they have, um, you know, they get a tissue sample back and they say, oh, my phosphorus is lower than it should be. And they're like, oh, guess I need more phosphorus. And it's like, no, no, no. You have plenty of phosphorus in the soil. You don't have a phosphorus problem. You have a phosphorus availability problem. And there's a big difference because phosphorus is taken up by diffusion. So the more root mass you have, the more feeder roots and root hairs you have, um, the more access to soil, you know, more contact to soil those roots have, and the more phosphorus can get in the tissue. So you could have um, a phosphorus availability problem for more than one reason, but oftentimes it's a disease reason. So it doesn't matter what you do to your phosphorus, doesn't matter how much uh, humic acid you dump on the soil, it doesn't matter um, how much zinc you put out. Um, if you have low phosphorus because of disease pressure, then guess what you have to fix to fix your phosphorus? You got you to stop the disease infection earlier. Um, so that's just one example um, that one thing that we pay close attention to because we see it in, in quite a few places in the U.S. The other benefits of biofertilizers, there's some enhanced soil structure. Um, and I've explained on a previous podcast how soil microbes build soil structure. But basically, the bacteria and the fungi, as they're multiplying in that soil and living in that soil, um, they're going to create glues to adhere themselves to soil particles. And so when bacteria and fungi uh, release these exudates and these sticky substances, they're going to kind of stick soil particles together. And fungi, as they grow, grow throughout the soil, they're going to attach themselves to soil particles and hold them in place. Um, and if we have good aggregate structure of soil, um, then we're going to have better structure in general. We're going to have better oxygen infiltration. We're going to have better drainage, and that's what we want. So if you put living organisms in the soil that survive, um, odds are you're going to increase um, or improve soil structure. Now, the magic question is to what degree are you going to improve soil structure? You know, if you improve something by 0.0001%, technically you improved it, but it's not going to be a measurable difference. So, um a lot of the um, a lot of the promised benefits that you get when you're looking at a product, um, what you don't ever know uh, on that list of claims that they're making is to what degree are these things going to happen, um, and, and that's what that's what we really want to look at and pay attention to. Um, so disease suppression is something that I, that I obviously um, feel pretty strongly about because we see it all over the place. We see pythium, we see other diseases going undiagnosed all over the place. But one of the main ways that these um, biofertilizers will um, suppress disease is whenever your root comes out of your seed. Um, you plant a seed, the root sprouts, the, it germinates. Um, if your um, 
root is a half inch long and it's in contact with soil, it's already in contact with millions and millions of soil microbes. There's bacteria and fungus all over. They sense that root and they know, hey, that's a lifeline for me. I live on, I live on plants. I want to live on this root. Um, and if you can get all kinds of beneficials colonized on that root, if you can get good bacteria and fungus to attach to that root when that, when that plant is very young, they'll occupy that space. And as the root grows, they'll multiply on that space. So eventually the plant starts performing photosynthesis, creating sugars and sending sugars and other carbon compounds and organic acids and amino acids out the roots. The microbes live on that, they multiply, so they continue to occupy root space. The more beneficials we get on that root, the harder it is for pathogens to get in later. So for a pathogen to get into a plant, it has to infect. And if you have this this nice barrier of beneficial biology protecting that root, that's one more layer that they have to get through before they can get to the root to try to infect it. And those beneficial organisms are going to work very hard to keep those pathogens out. Um, Some of those organisms will sequester iron, um, steal all the iron from the environment and, and sequester it and keep it uh, chelated so that those pathogens can't have access to that iron. Sometimes the bacteria will directly attack the pathogens, and sometimes bacteria or fungus will, when they get up next to spores of pathogens, they'll release chemicals or antibiotics that inhibit those spores from ever germinating. So if the pathogen spores don't germinate, obviously there's no pathogen then to try to infect the root. So there's multiple different ways that that these biofertilizers can, not always, but can. Some of them can absolutely inhibit disease um, and reduce disease pressure. So the other benefit of biofertilizers is something that, um, that we don't talk about a whole lot in, in agriculture is off-target damage. So when we spray fungicides, when we spray herbicides to kill our weeds, when we spread fertilizer, um, dry fertilizer, which is salt, there's all kinds of off-target damage. So just one example is fertilizer. If we can put a biofertilizer out to access our phosphorus rather than dumping on DAP or MAP, which I'm not opposed to, by the way. We do that often. We That's a recommendation of ours often if you need it. But if I get to choose, I'm going to use a biofertilizer rather than a fertilizer itself because that biofertilizer is not going to have a salt index with it. All fertilizers are salts by definition. Every single fertilizer that you use is a positive and a negative. DAP, diammonium, phosphate, ammonium positive, phosphate negative, that's a salt. Any positive and negative connected is a salt, and it's going to compete for water. The more salt we put on the soil, there's a balance to be had. Just like like everything we talk about, there's a balance. If you put too much salt out, too much fertilizer out, what's going to happen in a dry period? Obviously, the plants are going to have to work extra hard to try to pick up water from the soil. They're going to be stressing. They're going to have drought stress, salinity stress, things like that. A biofertilizer, on the other hand, a bacteria or a fungus that's been put out there to break the bonds and make this make these nutrients available and pass them to the plant, that has no salt index. And actually, they mitigate drought stress and salinity stress. So not only are you not putting salt out, you're mitigating the stress when, when the drought comes compared to what happens if you had just put a high rate of fertilizer out to get your nutrient status higher in the plant tissue. So 
there's uh, there's a lot of off-target damage. That's just one example. Obviously, fungicides, um, herbicides, things like that. There's there's a lot of beneficial biology that gets inhibited, if not necessarily killed. It's inhibited in a lot of instances whenever we are using synthetic chemicals. And and don't get me wrong, we use a lot of synthetic chemicals. We make a lot of recommendations for them, but when I get to choose, a biofertilizer is going to be my first choice. A biocontrol agent is going to be my first choice. Sometimes it's not feasible at all, so we're not going to use it in those cases. But just explaining my thought process, um, I'm always thinking about, okay, when we put this fertilizer out or we spray this fungicide, what's it going to do for us? But I also consider the negatives. A lot of times, the pros outweigh the cons, but you have to you have to factor in what's happening and what kind of off-target damage we're getting. Um, you have to be aware of that whenever you're coming up with a strategy. So biofertilizers, there's a lot of different things they can do for your crops. There's a lot of different things that they can do for you. Um, where I think they get a bad rep is people expect everything to give them a certain number of bushels. So if you, let's say phosphorus is not most limiting, and you go out and you use a phosphorus-solubilizing bacteria, and it does its job, and it brings you more phosphorus into the plant. And you can see in a tissue sample that, hey, I have 25% higher phosphorus where I use this particular bacteria or this combination of bacteria, right? I have 25% higher phosphorus in the tissue. Well, then you combine it, and you say, well, I didn't get a yield increase, so that didn't work. And we're going to say, no, 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 no. That, that's not how we're going to define worked. We're going to define worked by did it do its job? Did it do what it's advertised to do? Because if you told me it was a phosphorus-solubilizing bacteria and it increased my phosphorus levels in the tissue, it worked. That just means if we didn't get a yield increase, that just means that phosphorus was not most limiting, okay? And that's why we take these tissue samples. That's why we use this system to identify what's most limiting so we don't have to guess and just do a bunch of product trials, seeing which ones happen to maybe give us a few bushels every year. So that being said, we believe that biofertilizers are a tool in the tool bag, and they're a tremendous one, but they you have to know how to use them. So on the flip side, if I said, hey— Let's look at ROI. I'm gonna. I I want to give you this phosphorus solubilizing bacteria, and I want you to reduce your phosphorus rates by fifty percent. I want you to spend thirty dollars an acre less on phosphorus, and I want you to spend ten dollars an acre on this microbe instead. And we can verify um, year after year from tissue samples and yield that we have more phosphorus in the tissue and no less yield, and we just save 20 bucks an acre, okay, now now we're going somewhere. Now we are maintaining yield, spending $20 an acre less. So just understand that our strategy with these products, with biofertilizers, with everything we do, it's not necessarily about add this out here and gain five bushels or gain 10 bushels. Um, I, frankly, when I see that kind of stuff marketed on 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 the on the internet on facebook on instagram on tiktok and stuff like that i just i immediately discount it i, I don't think there's any credibility in that it's just not the way it works biofertilizers there's tons of different things they can do for you you just need to know what you're getting what's it supposed to do and how do we verify that it does what it claims it does so there's a lot of different ways you can implement biofertilizers the the first thing that we usually talk about is on seed 
So there's multiple different ways that you can get these biofertilizers on the seed. You can put them on as a planter box treatment. You can put them on in the seed treating process. There are there are a few different – there's so many different products out there that, that you've got to know what you're working with. Is it in a spore form? Is it a living bacteria? If it's a living bacteria not in a spore form, it's easy to kill. Um, there's some companies that are doing a lot of marketing on, oh, we've got the only biology that's going to be alive when it gets in the ground. Um, you know, there's some mistakes being made. There's some products out there that – that are getting killed before they make it to the ground, but there's a lot that are absolutely still alive when they hit the ground and they're going to form a relationship with your root system. So don't be misled by a company that says we have the only method of application that ensures these are going to be living when they when they hit your root zone. Everybody else's are dying before they hit the ground. That's a load of crap. That is not true. That being said, on seed is one application method. There's planter box treatments. There are graphite and talc replacements that have these microbes in them. There are some other carriers that I've seen people use um, that work good. And then there's some things that can be put in the vat with seed treatment and, and added to seed treatment. And there's some that are going to be put in a separate vat. And after the seed is treated, it's going to be over-treated with these biofertilizers. The other option is in furrow. So there's a lot of people that have in furrow on their planters. You can run these organisms in furrow, these biofertilizers in furrow. You can broadcast and pre-plant. Um, that's a slower process. It's gonna, it's not as cost effective. It's gonna take longer to build up the populations of organisms, the target organisms when you do that. And then there's foliar applications. One thing that gets overlooked is what what can these biofertilizers do foliar. And I'm not going to go into too much depth with that. That's something we talk a lot with our customers about. But if you think about a leaf surface, it's covered in biology. And so there's there's multiple reasons that biofertilizers applied foliar are really going to help plant health and nutrient uptake. And, and again, I'm not going to go too in-depth with that right now. But anybody that we work with directly, we're going to fill them in, obviously, on how, how do these things work foliar? What do they do? How do we damage our foliar microbiome, our phylosphere microbiome, and how can we help it? There's multiple application methods. There's, there's definitely a way to, to fit this into anyone's farming operation, and you do have to be careful what you're doing. So like I said earlier, if you've got a living bacteria and you dump it in with seed treatment, fungicides and insecticide, not a smart idea, okay? But if, but if they're all in a spore form, those spores can handle a lot of stuff. So there's a lot of different spores that are going to be fine um, to go in the vat directly with seed treatments and, and in the tank with other fertilizers and insecticides and things like that. There's organisms that have been selectively bred to withstand the insecticides and fungicides that are on the seed and survive those applications. It's just a matter of getting the right strain. So so don't don't be misled by somebody that says they've got the only way to keep microbes alive. There's there's a lot of ways to do it, but you do need to talk to somebody that if you have the question of how do I know this is going to be alive, your your sales rep or whoever it is that's trying to sell you something, they they should be able to give you a detailed explanation of how and why theirs is going to be alive. That being said, there's 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 precautions to take and that's why it all comes back to working with somebody that you know and trust. So organic farming is is something that we dabble in a little bit. We we don't get extremely into that. 
uh, but we do have a few guys that we work with that are organic. And biofertilizers are a huge part of organic farming, whether they realize it or not, because biofertilizers, again, are just products with living biology in them. And there's lots of products on the market, whether you know it or not, that have living biology in them. The reason they're a good fit for organic farming is they are often able to be labeled as organic products. There's no synthetic uh, ingredients in a lot of these. There's no off-target damage in many of these. So it's a great fit for organic farming because you're limited with you're, – you're obviously limited in organic farming with what you can put out. And whenever you can use nature's way of putting a microbe out to make, a, make nutrients available to the plant – that's obviously going to be going to be the best case scenario. So when you're producing biofertilizers, you have to have a very stringent process and you have to do things the same way, the exact same way every single time. Quality control is an important aspect of producing biofertilizers. And if you if you're sloppy with it, if you are not careful, there can be a lot of cross contamination that happens. So when you are producing biofertilizers, you have to make sure you've got a very stringent system in place of exactly how you produce it. You got to do things exactly the same way every time, and you have to make sure that there's no cross-contamination going on. If you are purchasing a biofertilizer, honestly, most of the big companies out there, most of the big-name brands have, have good quality, have good quality control measures in place. So if you're producing biofertilizers, you just need to be very careful with the way you're doing that. The company that you – if you're purchasing biofertilizers, maybe dig a little bit into the process. Not that anybody's going to tell you their manufacturing secrets and teach you how to make a product that they make a living on. But make sure that you're working with somebody that has quality control systems in place, that has a systemized process of producing these microbes that do it the same every single time, and they have protection in place for cross-contamination and things like that. Obviously, the the toughest thing when you're dealing with living organisms is the, the variability that can come from one batch to the next. So you just have to have measures in place of of measuring and controlling what you're putting out and make sure it's it's the same every time or absolutely as close as it can possibly be to the same every time. So as far as chemical fertilizers go, synthetic fertilizers like DAP and potassium chloride, using things like zinc sulfate, copper sulfate, whatever you might be using, the biofertilizers are are very compatible in a sense with those. A lot of times we'll avoid directly tank mixing with fertilizers like that when we have the opportunity to avoid it, but a lot of them can coexist in the soil. It just depends how much you're using, how much fertilizer you're putting out, how much zinc sulfate, how much DAP, how much potassium chloride, the amounts, the dose makes the poison. So when you're, it's, it's a good practice to implement both of these things. Whenever we're working with a farmer, we regularly recommend synthetic traditional fertilizers in conjunction with biofertilizers. We're fertilizing the ground. We may not be using as much as a lot of people are using because we're increasing the availability of those with the biofertilizers on the seed and in the furrow, but it's it's definitely a fit. You can you can certainly use synthetic fertilizer, chemical fertilizer, and you can also use the biofertilizers. So today we just got a result back from one of our trials, Reset, which is our compost extract, which has all the biology in it. It has bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and beneficial nematodes all in that product. 
we did multiple trials this year on corn and soybeans, and we just got one back today, and we had a 10-bushel increase on soybeans with it. Now, a lot of companies say, okay, 10-bushel, great, check the box. Um, Let's hope that we get more yield results in like this. All I care about is where did that 10 bushels come from? So we have tissue samples in the control, and we have tissue samples in the treated area from all season long. So now I can go look at those and say, okay, here's what was most limiting, these this nutrient or these two nutrients or these three nutrients. And for sure, I know already that we increased whatever the most limiting nutrient was. Now I'm curious what nutrient was that and how much did we increase the level. But that's all I want to know. When I get a yield result back, I'm like, okay, good, we increased yield here. But more important than did than, than the fact that we did is how did we do it? And so when you've got a company bringing you stuff, oh, look, we've got a seven-bushel average, an, an average of a seven-bushel breaker increase on corn with this product. Okay, great. How? How did you get that yield increase? If you can't tell me that, I'm sorry, but you are nothing special. You've got you got nothing special for me, nothing even useful. If you can tell me, oh, we did it by increasing the zinc and manganese on average by X percent. Okay, that's valuable information. Now, if I know that my zinc and manganese every year are 90 plus percent of what they should be, I know that product ain't going to do anything for me. But if I don't know that, I have no idea. I'm just I'm just going to keep trying stuff. So my point is we get tons of yield data back. We get yield increases a lot. Sometimes we don't. And when we don't, we have to dig in and see what happened, what went wrong. Any company that's being honest with you is going to tell you that some of their yield trials they don't get a yield increase on. Uh, What we do differently is we dig into that and we find out, okay, why did we not get that? Oh, you have a root disease issue. You have disease as a limiting factor, which means we can't increase your yields with nutrition. Now, once we fix that and we remove the disease as a limiting factor, and then we fix our nutrition, then the yields are going to go significantly higher. But it comes back to what's most limiting. And, And usually it's nutrition, but not always. Sometimes it's root disease. Sometimes it's insects. Um, sometimes it's water or lack of water, right? Too much, not enough, something like that. But you have to understand this stuff in order to help a farmer raise their yields, in my opinion. Just to sum it up, biofertilizers are here to stay, I believe. They, they've been around for a long time now. Uh, for a long time, they kind of got called snake oils. And honest to goodness, the, the salesmen that are out pushing them, promising the world and promising people 10 to 20 bushels just because they sprinkled some of this product on, that's, that's why they get that reputation. And those people are definitely not doing us any favors in this industry, but they're out there. So they, however, e- even with that stuff going on, the biofertilizers are obviously here to stay. They're here to stay. There's a bunch of companies getting in the space right now. Some of them, some of them have some good products and, and some experts on the team. Some of them, not so much. So just know who you're working with. Trust who you're working with. Hopefully they can provide you with a lot of information, um, details on how this stuff works and give you some realistic expectations. What's this going to do for me? What's it not going to do for me? But the biofertilizers are certainly here to stay. So if you have not explored biofertilizers, if you haven't used them, I strongly encourage you to dip your toe in the water, even if it's just on a small number of acres. 
when we start working with a guy, we we are never trying to trying to get somebody to do the whole farm. We have we would much rather somebody do ten or twenty acres the right way than do one or two thousand acres, um, just throwing a couple products at it, expecting a giant yield increase. It's just not that easy. If it was, everybody would be doing it, and it wouldn't be a secret. Everybody would know about that product. The 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 one thing that I want to emphasize is. Dip your toe in the water if you haven't. If you want help, if you are want more information on this kind of stuff, if you just want to have a conversation about it to understand it better, feel free to reach out to us. Get on the website, shoot us an email, find us on Facebook and messages. Just reach out to us anyway, any way that you'd like to. If you are considering biofertilizers or maybe you've used biofertilizers or biological products in the past, and you saw something visually but you didn't get a yield increase and you're curious as to why, uh, not quite ready to give up on it yet, um, give us a shout. I guarantee we can help you. So thanks for plugging in today. Hope you come back for the next episode. Thank you.